NASCAR fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. It's season number two in 2022 for Pit Pass Indy as we speed ahead into the new year of IndyCar action. Our special guest on the second episode of season two is Michael Shank, the winning team owner in the 105th Indianapolis 500. Last May, Shank's driver, Elio Castroneves, became just the fourth driver to win the Indy 500 four times in his career. Shank, along with co-owner Jim Meyer, enter the 2022 NTT IndyCar Series season with two full-time entries this year. Castroneves returns to full-time IndyCar duty for the first time since 2017 when he finished fourth in the standings at Team Penske. He is reunited with former Team Penske teammate Simon Pagano, who moved over to Meyer-Shank Racing during the offseason. Both drivers tested at Sebring Raceway on Monday, January 10, as team testing is underway. Later this month, Castroneves and Pagano will park their Indy cars and climb into Meyer-Shank Racing's Acura DPI racing machines to compete in the Rolex 24 at Daytona IMSA Sports Car Classic January 29-30 at Daytona International Raceway. Pagano will join full-time drivers Oliver Jarvis and Tom Blomquist, along with the team's endurance driver, Castroneves. I interviewed Shank from a windy Sebring Raceway Monday evening to cover a wide range of topics. Joining us now on Pit Pass City, we're pleased to be joined by winning Indianapolis 500 team owner, Michael Shank of Meyer Shank Racing. Michael, you tested for the first time in 2022 on Monday at Sebring International Raceway. I see where the rain didn't let you uh, have an entire day of testing, but how did the test go and what did you learn? Well, I mean, first off, this is, you know, first test of the year, like you said, and the first time we've gotten to see um, uh, Simon in one of our cars, and it went really, really well. We're really pleased. The first time testing is always interesting, especially with a veteran like Simon, because he's been around, you know, several teams and been at one team for a very, very long time. And uh, to come here to our whole new environment, all new people, new ways of doing things, it's always an anxious moment. But uh, he handled it exactly like a pro uh, would handle it. And um, and it, what I expected were met and then some. And uh, he was very happy with the car when he went, when he left, you know, um, we're, we're real pleased. Got to do some pit stop practice. Uh, Elio did really well today. He's, you know, he's right up to speed as you would expect. Also, um, Sebring is tricky. You can't read a ton into it. Uh, Sebring is especially good for getting the team engaged and the team in gear, uh, pit stop practices, changes to the car, 
the cadence of things is a great place. And that's what we do. And we'll come back here in February again, too. And also, doesn't Sebring International Raceway, the fact that it is an airport road course in many ways, give you the same type of breaking sense and breaking points and slickness that you'll experience in the season opening race on the streets of St. Petersburg? Absolutely. That's why we come here. Um, It really is. So, you know, back here, I think coming up in February 14 and 15, I think every single competitor is going to be out here between two days and we're all doing it for the same reason. So basically we have a week after we leave there and, uh, or so a week and a half and we're on track at St. Pete. So it best replicates St. Pete for us. And uh, it's a miniature race. So if people are out here and sit by the fence, they're bound to see a little mini race here, middle of February. So prior to Monday's test session, when was the last time one of your Indy cars was on track? That would have been our last race of last season. Ours, no, sorry. We did December. We did December with uh, Nick DeVries, actually. And what did you learn from that test? Well, that was a driver test. That was a new driver test. And what we learned is that Nick DeVries is an F1 caliber driver. That's it, period. So uh, I don't know what we're going to do with him if we do anything with him ever, but we liked him a lot. And um, he's definitely got a lot of speed and really, really good feedback. You can tell he's been with some really good teams. And, um, you know, I don't know where he's at. I mean, I think he's still trying to do F1, and uh, that's uh, perfectly understandable. Now, not only are you getting ready for the NTT IndyCar Series season, but later this month you're going to have a full-fledged effort with Acura in the Rolex 24 at Daytona, a race that's very important to you on the IMSA side. How do you feel everything is coming together for that operation? You've got your list of drivers lined up that will be driving in the 24 hours and also being one of the two main teams for Acura. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that race. Well, not only, yeah, absolutely. We have a responsibility to the mothership of Acura and Honda and HPD. And, and our team in particular, you know, we're looking for improvements over last year. We didn't have, we didn't get the, we had good speed at different times. We didn't get the results we think we deserve. So we need to turn that up a notch. But I got Elio and Simon going to be there. The two full-time drivers of uh, Bloomquist and Jarvis are very experienced guys. And uh, we tested there in December and they all did very well. Um, that program from the team perspective is uh, much more prepared for this race than last year. So I'm real pleased with that. And uh, we continue to, um, you know, make gains, but I, I, I don't like getting beat like we got beat last year. That's really, really hard on my, uh, on me and my ego. Now, when a lot of people are at the end of one year and they see Christmas come along and then new year's Eve and then new year's day, you're probably really getting amped up to get back to the track, not only in IMSA, but also in IndyCar. So what's it like during that month of December for Michael Shank and his race team? Once, you know, honestly, once we got through that December test, we just talked about with uh, Nick, um, I I was ready to have a little bit of break. You got to remember, we just moved into a brand new facility too, about a month before that. So we, we've been chaotically trying to get into that, make it as nice as it is and and obviously bring all these programs into 2022 spec. So for me, that time before we were, we were fortunate, uh, we were able to take that week between Christmas and New Year off and it was glorious. And uh, we really appreciate it. We didn't go anywhere. We just stayed at home, but uh, we got to rest up a little bit and get ready for it with today, essentially today. I think this is our first trip back out after break. And, uh, you know, we're 45 full-time people now between both programs, plus another 15 contractors. Uh, quite the team compared to when you and I met five, four or five years ago. 
And it also sounds like where you're at in Sebring, it's a little bit windy as your signal is kind of breaking up a little bit, but uh, hopefully we'll get get uh, beyond that. The new shop, I know there's a lot of high hopes and uh, you put a lot of effort and planning into it. If you could just tell our listeners a little bit about the new shop, where it's located and what are some of the things you'll be able to do now in a new facility. Good question. You know, we've moved in about a month and a half ago now from Pasco, Ohio, which is on the far east side. It's about 50,000 square feet. Uh, which is about three times what our old shop was. Partly what it does is allows us the room to to make uh, become more self-sufficient. Our carbon composite room is uh, growing a lot and being able to do everything in-house. We have our own print shop now, so we do all of our own wraps in-house. Uh, we're perfecting the 3D uh, manufacturing that so many other teams are doing, but we now have room to have our own 3D program, which we're... Uh, we're working on getting that up to speed. Um, all those things make us more of a well-rounded team, so we can get away from that little team, you know, that little team name that we grew up with here for so many years. So, uh, really pleased with it. Totally professional. When you walk in, it knocks your socks off, um, and I'm really pleased how it uh, came together. And also, you share a very important and close working relationship with American Honda. One of the facilities is located just up the road from you in Marysville, Ohio. To be able to have those resources and those assets, how much work do you do with them that you're able to take back to your shop and vice versa? Well, you know, it's funny you, you bring that up, and, and we are using Halo, the new wind uh, wind tunnel uh, that's coming into effect uh, probably next year we'll, or maybe later this year we'll start using it more. They have K&C facilities. Uh, that we have access up to there. So every year we go forward from here on out, we'll be doing more up in Marysville at the corporate headquarters of Honda. And it's wonderful. And we love the people up there, the engineers, the group that help us when we're there. Uh, it's really, really an asset for us. And uh, we plan on taking advantage of as much kind of as much as we can. Now, listen, we, we've put a lot of time up there. You know, when we developed the NSX for GT3, you know, we did all kinds of things to include like wet weather testing because they have a wet tire facility up there. Um, so there's just there's just tons of stuff we can take out of that relationship and what they do up there. When you look at how far your team has come in the last 12 months, scored its first victory, and it was a pretty big win. It was Elio Castroneva's fourth Indianapolis 500 victory. He becomes just the fourth driver to win the Indy 500 four times, joining such legends as A.J. Foyt, the late Al Unser, who luckily was around to see it that day before he passed away on December 9th of last year, and also Rick Mears. So when you look at what's happened in the last 12 months for Meyer Shank Racing, do you kind of step back sometimes and just look at it in wonderment and, and ask yourself if all of this has really happened? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what I've found is that uh, <clears throat> winning the Indy 500 is a gift that never stops giving, and it is just the most awesome thing in the world. You, we, I've dreamed about it. We all dreamed about it. But to actually make it happen and uh, get it done is it's just unfathomable. But now, of course, now how are we going to do it again? And, you know, we talk a lot about what are, you know, what are we going to do to come back and try to attack this thing for him for his fifth or Simon for his second? And the answer is we're not going to do a whole lot different than we did because I think our approach is very, very solid. And uh, we're not going to out-trick ourselves. And the rules haven't changed, really. So, you know, Elio will use the same chassis he won with last year because we like that car a lot. And um, hopefully we don't have to use it as a spare car and uh, before the 500. And um, 
we're trying to improve just like you would, but we have our solid, solid plan that's, uh, that we've learned from last year on both cars. And, um, you know, and I got to give a lot of credit to, you know, Adam Rovazzini is my competition director and he's one of the younger guys out there running an IndyCar program for a bigger team. And I'm really proud of what he's set as a precedent. He set as expectations for us and he will be a name that people will hear a lot more of as we go forward in this. Adam has been with me for his, this is his sixth year and um, started as a crew chief in the sports car program and has worked his way up to lead this IndyCar program. And it's his uh, vision and um, expertise on the way I want to go IndyCar racing matches to his. And that's kind of how we're trying to, uh, trying to run it. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. When you started this operation, you were a part-time team with a young driver in Jack Harvey, and you added more races on each season. Now it seems like you've evolved into a veteran base team with two really savvy, experienced, big-time winning drivers in Elio Castroneves and Simon Pagano. How do you describe the evolution of how you've gone from developing a young driver like Jack Harvey to now having two old pros like Elio and Simon? Well, everything we did, we always said this with Jack even, I mean, everything we did was very specific. We did not, and this is the number one thing I have to say, we did not want to overreach what we are capable of, first financially and second people-wise. I wasn't going to compromise our sports car program that was doing very well at that time. You know, we were bringing the GT3 car up for, for MSX and Acura at the same time. And in no way did I want to jeopardize that program and grow this thing at the right speed. 
And I think we, and, and, and I never let it deviate. You know, that, that one year we started with Jack. He was after Texas. We were like P5 or 6 in the championship, not running the full season. That was when we did 10 races. And it was tempting to go jack the credit cards up and go try to finish the year, you know. And um, we didn't do it. And uh, we stuck to what we said we were going to do. And I think our partners appreciated that. We didn't come back asking for more. Uh, we survived COVID. We got tight during COVID. And um, the COVID shut down. And uh, I, I would say we have stuck to our plan. That's the best thing I could say. I will say kind of lastly here, too, you know, when you look back at our trajectory, Bruce, and you, you see – you know, through 2017, you know, getting the NSX program and then in 18, taking Jim Meyer on and the Meyer family as a partner, that that's a critical moment in time that someday there'll be stories written about when Jim Meyer came into my life and his family. And there's a lot to be said about that. And I'm really proud I'm, and I'm lucky to have Jim. And for so many reasons, Bruce, uh, we can sit down and talk about that someday. But uh, from the time that we got the NSX deal, and Jim came into our life, the, the climb has been almost vertical. And uh, I can't say enough great things about it. what a superior person him and his family are and um, loyal to the bone. The 2020 Indianapolis 500, Elio Castroneves was going to drive his final race for Team Penske. And he was looking around for the future. He was looking around to try to line up with another team. And I remember talking with him back then, who some of the people are we should talk to. You know, obviously your team was one of them. He wanted to return full time. How do you describe the way you two got together and how in many ways, how fortunate it was that a driver with all of the name power of an Elio Castroneves was available to you? That's a very interesting thing. And it's not a secret. You know, we, we looked at, you know, we were, you know, we were able to sell a six race package for last year. And we're like, who do we want to drive this thing? And when we looked at it, and we looked at who was available, and we looked at some of the young guys that are, are deserving to be here. But I, I just, you know, I called Elliot, and he's like, yeah, I can do it. And I said, well, do you want to do IndyCar still? He's like, my God, that's all I think about. You know, and, and he had this, I don't know what you call it, chip on his shoulder. or You know, he just wasn't quite ready to be done. And he had things in his life, his goals to win, you know, another Indy 500. This is obviously before it happened. And we liked that. But as a bonus, and this is what I got after the fact, in my opinion, and, and this could be argued, but he is the most popular driver in IndyCar. He's the most well-known. He, he, he is unbelievable with our partners. He makes you feel like part of his family immediately. And uh, that's just invaluable to people that do what we do for a living, try to sell partnerships. And uh, he's a true asset. Even after whenever he decides his time's over driving, you know, we will try to keep him engaged at MSR somehow, some way. And, um, uh, he deserves it. He's one of the greatest of all time, and um, uh, we're, we're lucky to have him, and that's how we feel about it. So then when Jack Harvey decided that he was going to leave the team at the end of last season, what was the thought process? I know originally talking to you in the garage area, many IndyCar races in the summer, you didn't know whether to go with a young driver or whether to go with a veteran driver. What was it that swayed you to uh, take a good look and, and eventually sign Simon Pagenaud? Well, again, um, one thing I will say, I, you know, again, I was shocked when Jack, I, I got to say this, and I say this with all credit to Jack, I was pretty shocked when he didn't come with us, you know, and, and, and that's okay. You know, we're, we're still friends and everything's fine, but, you know, that took me a little bit while to get over. Like, I wasn't prepared for that, right? And, um, but again, 
what, what I've discovered after winning the Indy 500 is it's all about the Indy 500. And I, I wanted to put us in a position to be double shot, shotgun loaded with what I think are two arguably the best drivers at the speedway or certainly at the top of, of that group, top five anyway. And I, I, I put that much emphasis on the Indy 500 and whatever we can do to increase our odds, whether it's money, people, what, what can we do to position ourselves to attack in the last 20 laps of the 500? That's what I think about. On top of everything else, Simon's capable of. And also the fact they are both drivers that achieved a lot of success at Team Penske. And I know that Team Penske is a team that a lot of IndyCar teams would like to one day become. Sure. What have they brought to the team in terms of work ethic or approach the Penske way that has helped your operation? Well, they they definitely both have that mentality, which is it's uh, it's never too much of a problem to come to the shop. It's never too much of a problem to be here at 7 a.m. like they were this morning. It's never too much of a problem to put more effort into deciding uh, what the car needs up in the debrief room or the simulation time or where do I got to fly to help the team. It's all-encompassing. It's always thinking about what could be better. And, and, and sometimes it's... It's the team. Obviously, it's the team. Sometimes we got to be better at this, and they call that out. Or they could bring something up that they learned. You know, there's just so much of it. You know, um, and it's it's like Nick DeVries a little bit. You know, they they um, when you've been at a good team, you can you, you can really tell it. You know, uh, and a lot of times, and we're discovering that now. Penske do a hell of a job with these guys. Uh, the thing that I'm banking on is that you know. They're not ready to be done doing this yet. And, and I'm, I'm paying for that chip, that chip on their shoulder. How do you balance a full-time two-car IndyCar team along with a full-fledged Acura IMSA sports car effort? People, 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 people. Give them uh, direction and expectation and uh, let them do their work. And sometimes they're going to do unbelievable and sometimes they're going to do stuff that's not where I want to be. And we talk about it. We move on to the next thing. Get them to have ownership thinking, even though they might not have equity in our team. If I can sell that ownership thinking, Bruce, I'm going to get a lot of W's here in the next five years. And in a brief description, how did this magic ride begin for Michael Shank and auto racing? Oh, my gosh. I mean, back in the late, you know, late 70s, early 80s, my dad just instilling a, a love of cars, just cars in general, and then racing after that. And uh, lucky to have my dad and family and, and my wife came later later that's, you know, 100% involved in our program and just kind of all buying into the way that I thought was the right way to go racing. And it's, it's, and it's tough sometimes because, you know, we don't always make the right choice. We, you know, we spend more money than we should sometimes. And, but ultimately, the conservative nature of how we've approached racing, I think, has paid off uh, and is paying off. I should say maybe that's a better word. Um, and, and listen, I'm going to ride this out as long as we can. We're going to keep building relationships. We're going to try to make the program a little bit bigger and a little bit better. And, um, you know, I'm interested in the next five years. And I think it could be really, really, really good times for us. Speaking of the next five years, IndyCar will be moving more toward a hybrid assist engine and also a new chassis. What can you tell us about how those programs are going now? I know that a lot of things are going to have to come together fairly soon so that teams can begin to test in order for IndyCar to implement both the new engine package and the new chassis. 
uh, lots going on, Bruce, and I think we're we're not all the way there yet. I, I can't answer all those questions yet, but we're working on it, and it's at the top of our brain planning-wise and how we're going to integrate the new stuff. But it's not totally clear yet, but will come probably in the next couple months. And also, I'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that you and I both lost a really good pal uh, last December. T.E. McHale, the former motorsports manager at American Honda, I know he was a very important guy in helping you uh, with both of your Acura programs and with the Honda IndyCar program. He was, in a lot of ways, one of the most popular and engaging guys in the IndyCar community. He passed away unexpectedly to many of us. What are your thoughts about T.E. McHale? Just quickly, I mean, T.E. was one of my biggest supporters at Honda, HPD, and Acura. That's a, and he was a prince of a guy. I'm I, I was not I was not ultimately super close with him on a personal level, but I could count on him every single day. I would do anything for him and his family, and it just gutted me because I had no idea T, I, about T.E. I didn't know he was sick like that, and I regret that a little bit, but that's just who he was. He didn't want to burden anybody, you know, and, um, and I just, I, we're going to miss him terribly. Well, we're all going to miss him, but moving on to a brighter subject, won't be long here till we're, actually having a race at St. Petersburg on February 28th. That is if the wind that you're in right now doesn't blow you away between now and then. How excited are you to start the season in February? We're ready. We're all ready. I'm going to go talk to my team. They're trying to get out of here, Bruce, and uh, we're, we're absolutely ready. We're going to be more ready by the time we get to the end of February. IndyCar team owner and IMSA team owner, Michael Shank. Good luck with the wind down there in Sebring. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on Pit Pass Indy. All right, man. Thank you, Bruce. Bye. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank our guest, Michael Shank, the winning team owner of the 150 Indianapolis 500, for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, underscore, 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.